1: Remember what you said, you return that I might live in my father's house.
2: Why do we wait so long until things are really desperate to seek the face of the Lord, to learn what God would have us to do? You know, I wonder, in our own life's experience, how many of our problems would even have existed if we had sought the Lord in the beginning. If we were continually seeking the Lord, I think we would have avoided many of the tragedies of our lives, the needless problems, needless suffering.
0: All too often, believers' first and only response in a trial is to muddle through, seeking to solve and eliminate their own problems. However, as Pastor Mike teaches today, your first response should be to seek the Lord. Don't let busyness, preoccupation, or human solutions cause you to forget God. Because if you fail to seek the Lord, your little trials grow and multiply and last much longer than they should. In humility, seek first the Lord, and He will guide you into a solution. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 21. As he begins his message, God has not forgotten.
2: We're in 2 Samuel chapter 21. The title is God Has Not Forgotten. Our story begins with Saul's plan to exterminate the Gibeonites and God's punishment of his sin. Let's go ahead and begin in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is because of Saul. In other words, he was asking, why the famine? Uh, Lord, what's going on? What are you trying to show us? And so he inquired of the Lord, which was, of course, the right thing to do. And notice the Lord answers. You know, I, I can't overemphasize this point. You know, when you seek the Lord's face, you can be sure that God will answer. Well, anyway, God answered and he said, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he had killed the Gibeonites. Now, let me also say that most Bible scholars agree that this chapter does not follow the chronological order of events leading up to chapter 21. It is likely that this famine that lasted for uh, three years, according to our text, actually took place early on when David first began to reign over Israel. In fact, some Bible teachers place it near chapter 8 when David and the men of Israel were fighting wars on all sides. Remember, they had gone up against the Philistines, the Moabites, the Syrians, as well as some of the other nations surrounding them. So it has been suggested that David didn't immediately seek the face of the Lord as it related to this famine because he was preoccupied with all of these wars. He was engaged in warfare. And so he ignored the chastising of God. He had failed to inquire of the Lord. And listen, you know, I I think one of the lessons that we need to take away from this is if we fail to inquire of the Lord, little trials can swell into one large one and brief trouble can become a long continuing affliction. So anyway, but finally, according to verse one, David did come around to inquire of the Lord and seek his face. And once again, as I've already mentioned, and God answered. Notice there again in the latter part of verse 1. It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he had killed the Gibeonites. So that's the reason why they were being chastised by God and God was using the instrument of this famine. You know, it is tragic that it takes terrible circumstances to cause us to seek the face of God. I mean, think about it here uh, as, a, as it relates to David. And I mean, think about who we're talking about here. David was the man after God's own heart. You would have thought that David would have known better. But it was three years before David woke up and realized I'd better inquire of the Lord. So let me ask you a question. Why do we wait so long until things are really desperate to seek the face of the Lord, to learn what God would have us to do. You know, I wonder, in our own life's experience, how many of our problems would even have existed if we had sought the Lord in the beginning. If we were continually seeking the Lord, I think we would have avoided many of the tragedies of our lives. The needless problems, needless suffering, But you know, there's a flip side to all of this as well, and and this is another reason why I think we should constantly be seeking the Lord, staying in contact with Him. I also believe it must be very pleasing to God to seek Him when there's not some tragedy hanging over our head, when He wasn't made the last resort. Unfortunately, you know, we look to God as the last resort when things really get bad. He should be the first resort always of our lives. You know, that time spent with him, seeking his face, continually be in contact with him. However, when things are going bad, we should do, as David did here, according to our text, and seek the Lord, and God will, as he did with David, show you what is wrong. And so, simply, we should ask the Lord, Lord, why am I going through this? You know, more times than not, we're more preoccupied with the things that have uh, come upon us than asking God, God, are you trying to show me something? God, are you trying to get my attention? And I think that rather should be our focus. Because maybe there is an area of our lives that God wants to deal with. Maybe we have a problem that we really aren't even aware of. Something has crept in. We've allowed something to creep into our lives. And God is trying to get our attention. And you know what? Sometimes, you know, just make it easy on yourself. Because sometimes, you know, to bring us around so that we'll seek the face of God, He uses severe measures to get our attention. In the 32nd Psalm, in verse 9, and I frequently remind you about this, you know, God wants to lead us with His eye. And he wants to make it as easy as possible for us in our life's experience. You know, that's just one of the perks about being a child of God. God will lead us. God will instruct us. God will counsel us in the way that we should uh, go. But in 32nd Psalm in verse 9, and this is the instruction. Here's the exhortation. Do not be like the horse or like the mule. Unfortunately, some of us are like donkeys, right? Which have no understanding which may be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. And so sometimes God uses severe measures to get our attention. Well, don't be stubborn. Don't be as stubborn as a mule, because God doesn't want to use painful processes to lead us or to get our attention. Rather, God would just desire us to seek his face. And then we have the promise that he will uh, guide you. So make it easy on yourself. You know, those instruments, the, the bit and the bridle, the bit was a, a, a chunk of iron that was placed in the beast of burden's mouth to get them to go in the direction that they wanted them to go in. And it was hard. They would pull back it and it would rip, rip up in, their, in the side of their jaw. God doesn't want to lead us that way. He wants to lead us with his eye. He wants to lead us through his scriptures. He wants to provide that counsel and encouragement for us. I think that that's something that, first of all, we need to take to heart. Constantly be in contact with the Lord. Now, the reason for the famine was a broken covenant and a nation that had committed a great sin. I'm referring to Israel. You know, the background for this is actually recorded for us in the book of Joshua in chapter 9. When Joshua had now received the mantle from Moses, and he was leading God's people in the conquest of the land of Canaan. As they invaded Canaan, and he began to conquer those cities, Jericho and then Ai and and others, he was deceived by the Gibeonites, who pretended to have come from a distant land. Remember, they had uh, put on tattered clothes, and they uh, put in their pouches moldy uh, bread and had worn wineskins, and they sought peace with Israel. Initially, when they had met with uh, Joshua, they said, listen, you know, we had come from a far land, we had heard about your God and how powerful your God Jehovah is, and we've come to enter into a treaty with you, to make peace with you. They sought peace with Israel. And thus, Joshua had fallen into this trap, and a treaty was made with them. But a short time later, they realized that they had been tricked, because obviously these Gibeonites had been also the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, and they had known that how that uh, God had gone before Joshua and how that they had defeated the inhabitants of the city of Jericho and the city of Ai, and they were, you know, next to be defeated by Israel. So they perpetrated this plan in seeking to deceive Joshua. And Joshua bought into it, and they disguised themselves and and all. But it was after a a short period of three days that they had realized, that Joshua had realized that they had been duped, that they had been tricked. In fact, in the book of Joshua, in chapter 9, in verse 16, we are told, and it happened at the end of three days, after they had already entered into this treaty, where they had sworn an oath concerning these uh, individuals, not to attack them, right? After they had made a covenant with them, and you got to understand something about a covenant back then. A covenant was binding uh, upon the people who had made it because they had sworn an oath not only to the people that they had entered into the covenant with, but they also had sworn an oath to the Lord. And so, a covenant that they made back then was a lot different than you know the things, the contractual agreements that we enter into uh, today. It was binding. And they made those covenants unto the Lord. So they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. So obviously they they realized they had been tricked, that they had been duped. But this covenant, however, was binding. Remember, God had instructed them to drive out all of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, to defeat all of the inhabitants. And the Gibeonites would have been included in that. But nevertheless, they had made that covenant and it was binding upon them. But the Gibeonites were punished for their deception after uh, Joshua and Israel discovered their true intentions and made them, according to the text, they were made ewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of the Lord. In other words, they were made sort of like servants or, or slaves unto Israel. Now, Saul's breach of this covenant and his attempted genocide of the Gibeonites as a race is not mentioned in the history of this period other than here in this text. In fact, we wouldn't know it uh, otherwise. And and I think that Saul's zeal was actually misguided. He felt as if he he wanted to come against them for what they had done in disguising themselves and tricking Israel. And so Saul wouldn't abide by this covenant that had been made through Joshua and the uh, Gibeonites. And all of a sudden he decides that he's going to wipe out the Gibeonites as a race of uh, people. And then also, according to 1 Samuel chapter 22, in verse uh, 7, and sometimes as a cross-reference to this, just to kind of give you an idea of what was going on, Remember, Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so seeking the tribe's favor, what he did is after he exterminated the Gibeonites, he took their land and he gave it to the Benjamites. And drawing that to your attention for a very specific purpose and reason, and I'll get to that in just a a moment. So anyway, he had slaughtered a defenseless people and his sin had so far gone unpunished And this rested upon Saul and his house. But it also rested upon the entire nation of Israel because Israel was an accessory to this evil plot and plan of Saul's. They either approved of Saul's actions or they did nothing about it. So they were just as guilty as was Saul. He had never acknowledged his sin, and thus, it had never been forgiven. Now we know, according to the New Testament teaching, like for example in 1 John in chapter uh, 1, in verse 9, if we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But Saul and the Benjamites never asked God to forgive them of their sins. So Saul apparently thought, that with the passing of time, the Lord had forgotten. But listen, God never forgets. Remember, that's the title of this message. You know, Saul is like so many today who think that they can sin with impunity. But as I've already mentioned, God does not forget. And think about this. It's been 400 years since this agreement, this binding agreement, this covenant that they entered into with the Gibeonites. Right? God had not forgotten. In spite of the fact that 400 years has now passed. Well, anyway, upon learning the cause of the famine, David calls the leaders of the Gibeonites together. Finally, he realizes why they are being chastised by God because of Saul's and Israel's sin. Okay, so what does David do? Well, let's pick up now in our story verses 2 and 3. So the king called the Gibeonites. David is really trying to reconcile, make things right, not only with the Gibeonites, but uh, with God as well. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites, the children of Israel, had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal. Remember, again, the zeal was misguided the children of Israel, and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? So David is wise enough to realize that if he could get the Gibeonites to bless Israel, right, that the reconciliation would be complete and the chastisement of the nation through this famine would be over. So that's what's going on there in verses 2 and 3. So David, as a wise leader, allows them to select an acceptable penalty to satisfy the crime. And he offers two specific options to them. The first of which was some monetary compensation or secondly, blood vengeance. That is an eye for an eye. But notice the response of the Gibeonites in verse 4. And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. And so he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. So that was their response. Well, there's only one other alternative. Let's pick up now in verses 5 and 6. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us, that is Saul, and plotted against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Now, it's at this point, some of you may be thinking, why should severe innocent men be executed to satisfy the wishes of a wronged and injured people? Well, there are two truths that must be kept in mind. The first of which is the concept of corporate personality. That is the sins of the father being visited upon the children. And that was something that was firmly established in the laws and customs of the people. And I also want to mention... The seven that were chosen by David understood this, and they raised no objection whatsoever. Secondly, the Benjamites, and remember now, Saul was a Benjamite himself. Remember the misguided zeal of Saul looking to gain the favor of his own tribe after exterminating many of the Gibeonites he took their land and he gave them to his own tribe, the Benjamites. So the Benjamites, Saul's tribe, benefited from the land, vacant by the Gibeonites, and had never repented of Saul's crime, nor sought to make any form of redress. In other words, they didn't do anything to make right what had been wrong. So in this light, the request by the Gibeonites was most gracious. They only requested that seven men were delivered unto them. I mean, it could have been a life for a life. And many more of Israel's children could have perished. Well, anyway, David, notice, accepts there in verse 6, in the latter part of verse 6, he declares, I will deliver them. So David locates seven of Saul's descendants, and gives them over to the Gibeonites. Now, let's pick up verses 7 through 9. But the king spared Mephibosheth. Now, this particular Mephibosheth, I want you to understand, so don't be confused by this. There are actually two Mephibosheths that are referred to here in this text. The first of which is Jonathan's son. And remember, David, when ascending to the throne, made a covenant together with Jonathan to spare those of his own household. And Mephibosheth happened to be one of them. So there are two different Mephibosheths here. So David didn't turn Jonathan's son Mephibosheth over to be killed by the Gibeonites. Okay, so just keep that in mind. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul, so the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rispah. Rispah happened to be one of Saul's concubines, the daughter of Aya, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Marhothite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hang them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. This would have been towards the end of April. Okay, so they are then hung, these seven men, and they are thrown over a cliff.
1: In father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be.
0: Oh, my in the book of 2 Samuel the King God anointed is finally on the throne King David the man after God's heart is in the place God planned for him yet David is still human And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken, This same God is merciful to you, too, and His forgiveness is just as real when you come to Him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at HarvestNYC.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.